Please be seated. The scripture text for this morning is uh, Colossians 2. We'll look at verses 8 through 15. You can um, follow along in the text that's printed in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible, or there's some Bibles on the back table there. Um, so we're in a series on Colossians. Uh, maybe this is like the fourth or fifth week that we've been going through Colossians, and the theme of the book, the theme of the series is Growing in the Gospel. Uh, it's about how the good news about um, Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done for us, um, is what we need to focus on in order to grow as Christians. Uh, and there are different ways that we've been talking about, um, just even over the last several months, the way that we talk about our uh, growth as Christians, or the way we talk about uh, the thing that, um, that plagues us, that we need to move away from, uh, the thing that we need to grow in. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this in terms of, I mean, sanctification is the big fancy Christian word for it, like how do you grow as a Christian, but uh, becoming holy. Um, we've talked about it in terms of strengthening in our trust, in our faith in uh, Christ versus doubt. Right? You've got the, the heart of unbelief, it's kind of at the core of every sin. Um, that we need to uh, overcome with our faith. And then uh, we've talked about it in terms of growing in our ability to love others rather than uh, just loving ourselves, being self-oriented, um, that being a major feature of our sin. Uh, we've talked about it in terms of uh, pride versus humility. I mean, there's all these things that you could, you could kind of boil sin down to a bunch of different facets, um, becoming more like Jesus in our obedience to the Father. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to talk about it. This morning, we're going to see Paul talk about our growth in terms of um, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He's the one true God, um, breaking the power of false gods in our lives, breaking the power of false gods uh, in, in his being everything that we want, everything that we need, in his being enough for us. Uh, so we're thinking about growth in, um, growth in grace, growth as Christians in terms of Jesus coming in and breaking the, the grip that sin has in our lives, the, the, the power of false gods, the power of idols, um, by being enough for us. So let's pray, and then we'll read uh, Colossians 2. <clears throat> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in your name we come to you. In your name we've been baptized. In your name we ask that you would make your word real to us, that you would uh, plunge your grace deeper into our souls, that you would change us from the inside out. It's a work that only you can do. And we, um, we sit here at your disposal. We want to hear from you, and we want to be changed by you more into the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith 
in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So whether you're a Christian or not, uh, if you're honest, you probably admit that you feel something gnawing inside of you, something that uh, is gnawing inside of all of us, something that we would rather not think about. It's an emptiness. Right? There's maybe a bunch of different ways to describe this, but it's an emptiness that needs to be filled. There's something missing. There's something deficient. There's something broken. There's, it, there's a sense of uh, not-enoughness. Right? We know there must be more or better than this. This is not enough. Um, and I don't know if you've uh, seen this comedian at all, Louis C.K. I don't know why he goes by that. His last initials, I don't know what his last name is. Louis C.K., he's this comedian. I don't know whether he's a Christian or not. I've seen a couple of videos uh, with him in it. And um, there's this one, he was, uh, it just was recently kind of floating around on Facebook. He was um, being interviewed by Conan. Conan? I always want to say Conan, but that's like Schwarzenegger's character. But Conan, <clears throat> I think, is, is the way you pronounce it, uh, on a late night show. And he's talking about cell phones. And he's talking about the fact that he doesn't want his kids to have cell phones. And this is not what this sermon's about. I'm just giving you context. Um, <clears throat> cell phones, they're okay. But um, he's saying, you've got to build the ability to just be yourself and do nothing. Some of this is funny. He's a comedian. He's, you know, um, you've got to build the ability to just be yourself and do nothing because underneath everything in your life, there's that thing. There's that empty, that forever empty, just that knowledge that it's all for nothing and that you're alone. And sometimes you start to think, oh no, here it comes. I'm alone. It's just this sadness. And then, you know, he says, try to distract ourselves or make that go away by getting on our cell phone and texting people, right? Let's, let's fill up that empty. Let's make it go away by, um, he's talking about it in terms of loneliness and sadness. So fix that by um, connecting to other people, right? So he's like, people are driving and they're always texting, connecting to other people because they can't handle just being alone in their car. And he talks about this time where he just, you put the cell phone down and you let the waves of sadness roll over him and, and, uh, you know, whatever that experience was for him. I'm not advocating necessarily, but, <clears throat> but that's what he's talking about. He, he senses that there's this emptiness that if you just put away all the distractions and sit there with it, it's tremendously hard. Right? Um, sometimes we can put those, that whatever's wrong or missing inside of us, right? Sometimes we worry about it in terms of um, feeling out of control feeling out of control in life. So we try to fix that by accumulating power or um, by exercising authority in our uh, spheres of influence. Sometimes we experience this as a deep hunger for intimacy. And so then we turn to sex or sex substitutes to fill that. Sometimes we feel uh, lost, kind of untethered. We need um, an identity that... um, 
we don't know if we have. And so we go after fame, we go after a good reputation, we try to define ourselves or set up ourselves apart from others uh, based on who we are and what we can do with our lives. <clears throat> Sometimes we badly want comfort and pleasure and security, so we build up a really nice illusion of a lasting heaven in our homes with our possessions and our comforts. Um, and, and we get bummed out when things break because that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm setting up something better than that here. You know. um, <clears throat> sometimes we have a real sense of our guilt. Sometimes we understand this problem inside of us as uh, it's a detachment from God that's it's upon us because of our own sins. And, <clears throat> and our deep need then it, that we know at some level is our personal standing before God and so we try to instinctively fix that by doing religious things or moral things and, um, and all of that is idolatry all of that is giving ourselves to false gods um, to get the things that we need or at least what we perceive we need and, it, and that's something that every human being does all the time because we can't deny that there's this big sucking emptiness um, inside of our souls and we try to fix the problem ourselves. And that's idolatry, right? Um, and the tip-off to when this is happening is when we don't achieve what we're trying to achieve or when we feel like the things that we're trying to preserve in our lives are threatened, we get really angry and, um, or, or we despair. And even religion, even Christian religion, not the way it's supposed to be, but uh, Christian religion, what we do with it is idolatrous when the one true God isn't at the center. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's, in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So, you know, the promises of wisdom that are just empty promises, vain promises, according to human tradition, right, being contrasted with revelation, scriptural wisdom from God, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See that no one takes you captive according, uh, or by these things. And he's most likely, it's fairly clear, I think, that he's talking about Judaism here. Uh, he's talking about that as kind of the rival to um, true Christianity in this sense. Because there's a play on words here, and there's some context in later verses that um, brings us to an understanding. He's talking about Judaism. He's the play on words is, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive. That word is basically synagogue, uh, where do Jews meet? In the synagogue. See that no one synagogues you, right? It's just this play on words that is like, make sure no one kidnaps you. Um, Judaism, the Old Testament religion um, before Christ, it was always meant to culminate in Christ, right? It was always meant to, to point toward and be fulfilled in the Messiah, the Savior, who we know is Jesus, but the Jews who opposed Paul's ministry, they rejected the Messiah. Um, they, they rejected Jesus. And they viewed the real, true way to be right with God, to bridge the gap and to fix the problem of our guilt, to fill that emptiness, um, was to keep the law of Moses. And if they think that way about religion, even the revealed religion of the Old Testament, if they think that way about it, Paul says, it amounts to nothing more than just another pagan philosophy with empty promises that's going to deceive you and take you captive. It's just another human tradition 
Uh, it's, it's just according to the elemental spirits of the world. And that, that word, uh, elemental spirits, is um, it can be translated a few different ways, but basically it means local deities, false gods, right? The kind that all the pagans had up in their houses or in their local shrines or in their cities. We have a certain god that we made up, that we look to for help, and, um, and that we honor and that we get our, give our lives to all those kind of gods. Judaism just, if it's, if it's not pointing to Christ, if it's not fulfilled in the Messiah, in, Christ, in Jesus, then it's just another one of those things. Right? You know, like the gods that your village prays to for rain. Or the gods of money, sex, and power that you look to, that I look to, in order to fill our empty souls. Right? Judaism, even the Old Testament religion, keeping the law of Moses is just like those things when you use it to fix what's wrong or to fill what's empty or to make you truly right with God. When you use it that way, it's idolatry. <clears throat> so don't be taken captive by that stuff. Don't be kidnapped by that stuff. Those are false gods. They're rulers and authorities, as the text says, that are imposters and usurpers and that you and I have given ourselves to as slaves um, with the hope that they're going to take care of us and give us what we need. But there's only one true God, and we know him in the person of Jesus Christ, in the person of his Son. And it says in verses 9 and 10, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who's the head of all rule and authority. So, we all feel that there's got to be something more, right? There's this fullness that we're groping around for. The fullness that we're groping around for is the whole fullness of deity. Which is found in Christ alone. The Son of God, very God of very God, as the Creed says. <clears throat> the second person of the Trinity is he's come to earth as a human so that all the fullness, the whole fullness of deity would dwell in him bodily as a human. And that's an incredible statement that everything that you need, everything that you've been searching for, everything that you've been made for is found in one man because that man is fully God. And if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, who is the God-man, then you, as the text says, have been filled in him. Everything you need, everything you're searching for, everything you were made for is yours because Jesus is yours and because you are his. Now, that is still the hardest thing for us to latch on to, um, to latch on to Christ always and only, because we still feel that deficiency, even as Christians. You have a great relationship with God through Jesus, and you're still going to feel that deficiency. You're still going to feel that emptiness, that not-enoughness, but the deficiency is not with Jesus. It's not with the object of our faith. The deficiency is with our faith. Uh, Jesus is not the one who's lacking. Our trust in him is lacking. Jesus is enough. We just don't believe that enough. So we still look for our needs and our hopes to be met by idols. We still turn to the local deities, to the rulers and authorities. But we are largely unaware of that tendency in ourselves. And that's what Paul is addressing here. The thing that needs to change is that tendency about ourselves. The Colossians probably didn't think they were in danger of idolatry. 
no one ever thinks they're in danger of idolatry from good religious people like these Jews who are just saying, do better, live better, right? Um, especially not when they're teaching that from the Old Testament. But Paul's saying you can't rely on your instincts. You may not think you're in danger here, um, but you are in danger, and you'd never have guessed it. You, you don't know how vulnerable you are. The faith that we hold is always held vulnerable, vulnerably by Christians because um, the message of the gospel is counterintuitive. It just runs straight across everything we el- else we see in this world. It makes good sense to us. If we feel we need something more, if we feel there's something lacking or broken, we've got to work to get it, strive to achieve it, fix it, right? Rather than simply and frequently turning to rest in what we've already been given by God's free grace in the gospel. In Christ, you already have the fullness of God. So maybe you've heard this analogy. I'm not sure if I've used it here, but probably a fairly common one, uh, analogy of uh, there's, a, there's a pond that's frozen over, at least on the surface, right? And you've got two guys who are there, and they want to go out on the pond for whatever reason. That's not part of the analogy or the illustration. But, you know, these two guys would go out on the ice, right? And one guy just kind of strides out boldly. He's pretty confident this ice is going to hold me. And the other guy gets down on his hands and knees, and he's just really tentatively with fear, like crawling out onto the ice, for which one of those guys is the ice going to hold? It doesn't matter, right? What matters is not which way they approach the ice. It matters whether the ice is thick enough, right? And with Christ, the ice goes all the way down. That sounds cold. (laughs) No pun intended. The ice is thick with Christ. It goes all the way down. And if that's the case and you know that the ice goes all the way down, which one are you going to do? Are you going to stride out boldly with confidence, having fun on the ice, uh, having freedom to go out there, or are you going to creep out there on the ice again, right? It's like when you know the ice goes all the way down, when you know all the fullness of God dwells in Christ bodily and in him you are already filled, then it gives you confidence to live by faith, it gives you freedom, and it gives you joy. So <clears throat> the example that Paul gives uh, to the Colossians about, it, it, it's, what, it's what the Judaizers seem to be teaching, is that um, they're saying in order to get this completion, in order to come to a place that's better and fuller and, and en- enough, then uh, you need circumcision. You need to keep God's law. Circumcision is kind of the main thing they're always talking about. If you really want to be right with God and his people, you've got to keep this law. And Paul implicitly calls this idolatry because it says in verse 11, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised in contrast to the circumcision that they're offering with a circumcision made without hands. Uh, circumcision made without hands. When he uses the word made without hands, it, that, that word in everybody's mind who knows the Hebrew, the Old Testament, or, what, or the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, it's strongly associated with idolatry because any time in the Old Testament something is made with hands, that, that word is talking about an idol. It's talking about a, god, a false god that we've carved out of wood or stone or clay and we've set it up and we've called to it for help. That's what it means to be made with hands. In contrast to that, the circumcision that 
of Christ is the one that's made without hands. So it's not the idolatrous circumcision. So Paul's implying that this Jewish circumcision as a way, it's, it's trying to get something that's only freely given already in the gospel. It's trying to get somewhere where you haven't already arrived. You have already arrived. It's just like making an idol for yourself. But he says if you're a Christian, if you believe the gospel of God's grace, then in Christ you were circumcised. You've already got this thing that they're telling you circumcision is going to give you. Right? You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So what Jews are looking to achieve for themselves, to fix, has already been done for you. It's already been done to you. He goes on to say, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, or uh, the Christian circumcision, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So the Jews taught, this is what they were teaching, that circumcision would truly set one apart from the world. And uh, then you would really have relationship with God, you'd be part of his people, it would be full and complete. Uh, but Paul teaches that this happens to you through your baptism. Right? Through being united to Christ through faith, by dying to the world and its values and its counterfeit gods, and by being raised to new and everlasting life in Jesus' resurrection. And so the side note here, this is, this is not a sermon about baptism. Uh, it's not even a text about baptism, but Paul draws that connection between circumcision and baptism without even thinking. He doesn't even go into describing why there's such a strong connection between those things. It's obvious in his mind um, that baptism is Christian circumcision. So moving on from that, everything that's true of Jesus Christ... He's saying everything that's true of him, that he has died to the world, that he lives forever to God, that's true of you. If your faith is in him, if you're united to him through faith and baptism, he's died to the fallen world, he's died to all the old ways of sin, and so have you, and Jesus now lives forever to God, and so do you in God's sight. And the Jews taught a righteousness based on the law, which is idolatry. Something's wrong, I can fix it. But the gospel says, yeah, there's something wrong. It's called sin, but you can't fix it. But you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the debt that you owe to God has been canceled. Your sins forgiven. There is no more gap. There is no more need. There is no more emptiness. And those false gods that you look to in order to fill that emptiness, in order to fix it, they've been exposed for what they really are, the sham that they are. They've been stripped naked of their power, and they've been held up publicly for contempt through the cross of Christ. It says he, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ on the cross. Those false gods, they make empty, deceitful promises. They lie to you. They promise love. They promise acceptance and security and joy. They can't deliver. Only Christ, the only begotten Son, only he delivers. Because did money or sex or power love you to the point of dying for you. Did they do that? 
Did they die for you to reconcile you to God to grant you eternal life? Tim Keller says, if you don't live for Jesus, you will live for something else. Will those things be enough? Will they die for you? Jesus did, once and for all. It's already done, and you're alive in him. Christ is the victor over all false gods. He breaks the grip of reigning sin and sets the prisoner free. He's already given you everything that you and I would vainly hope to find in other gods. You're complete in him. You have enough. You have more than enough. So remember that. And stay grounded in that and come back to that and live out of that good news. That's the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are sorry for the the way in which uh, we pay lip service to your grace and to your gospel and yet still turn to other false gods that aren't even gods. For our help. We give our lives to so many things. Uh, We live for so many things that are not the one true God. And so we are glad that you have shown us that you love us, that you have forgiven us through uh, your your blood and your death on the cross. And we pray that in your great power and in your gospel, you would continue to show us the sham that our false gods are, that you would continue to draw us close to yourself and make us quick to run to the gospel, make us quick to run to all the fullness of God that dwells in you bodily, and um, make us quick to remember that uh, we need nothing else in this world except for you, and we do have you by your grace. And so we're glad and we're thankful and we're joyful, and we pray in your name. Amen.